The countdown has begun. From May 14th to 16th, a thousand global leaders will gather in Doha for the Qatar Economic Forum powered by Bloomberg. Join heads of state, influential ministers and leading CEOs to make new connections, gain unique insights and uncover valuable opportunities in one of the world's most rapidly rising regions. Request your invite for this exclusive event at QatarEconomicForum.com. Live from our nation's capital. This budget thing is going to do nothing. Space Force, I still think it's interesting. President Trump not playing his cards yet. Headlines, policy, and politics colliding. Bloomberg, sound on. The insiders, the influencers, the insights. I would rather see a congressional solution. It's part of my DNA. The Senate map in 2020 looks a lot different than it looked in 2018. President Trump was sent here to smash conventional norms. In a sense, Bernie Sanders has already won. This is Bloomberg, sound on with Kevin Cirilli. On Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. President Trump plans to speak tonight on virus plans amid fresh market plunge. 9 p.m. Eastern, the President of the United States is set to address the country and talk about what the administration, what the government is doing to stop the spread of COVID-19, the coronavirus. He plans to address the nation from the Oval office. Markets have continued to fall after the World Health Organization declared the virus a pandemic. And now lawmakers on Capitol Hill still grappling with precisely what they're going to do, how they're going to react to this. Uh, We should note that here in Washington, D.C., Mayor Bowser has just declared a state of an emergency uh, for Washington, D.C., as it relates to COVID-19 or the coronavirus. And we have every angle Covered. Krita Gupta is on standby. She's Bloomberg Markets live team reporter. She's going to check in with us. Dan Pickering's going to call. He's the founder and chief investment officer of Pickering Energy Partners based in Houston, Texas. We're going to check in to see how energy's doing. Frank Masano, speaking of energy, can't have a Washington based political show and not check in with Frank on energy, a partner at Bracewell's Policy Resolution Group. And Joel Payne is here a Democratic strategist, former director of the African-American media outreach for Hillary Clinton's presidential. So let's get right to it. Dow average sinks into bear market uh, on virus fears. Stocks plunge around the world. Oil tumbled and the stress in the U.S. credit markets deepened after the World Health Organization called the virus spread a pandemic and the Trump administration remained unable to detail any stimulus measures to combat the economic fallout. I'm reading, of course, from the Bloomberg Terminal. Krita Gupta, my colleague, joining us. She's a Bloomberg Markets live team reporter, joins us on the phone from New York. All right, President Trump going to address the nation tonight from the Oval Office at 9 p.m. Eastern. Krita, what do investors want to hear? Any sign of fiscal and economic stimulus, we need that one-two punch. You said it. We saw those massive losses in the stock market today. Uh, This is coming after two weeks of volatility, Kevin. So really needing that economic stimulus, needing that monetary easing, really needing to surprise the market in any way. That's why today uh, any comments coming out of uh, President Trump indicating that we're going to get that is going to be a positive for the market. That's what we'll have our eye on. Coming up, we're going to hear from my interview with Senator Marsha Blackburn. She's a Republican from Tennessee. And, and I said this to her, and I'm going to put the same question, Krita, to you. When I talk to the business community, they're frustrated about 
Washington not really doing anything to handle this, but Washington is equally as frustrated with the business community because they view the volatility as worsening some of the uncertainty around the country and around the world as it relates to COVID-19. And, and, and I'm curious, when you look at, for example, that there are now signs that companies in the hardest hit industries are drawing down credit lines to battle the effects of the virus on their businesses. How is that, is that from your reporting, Krita Gupta, is that out of a necessity or is that out of anxiety? I'm going to say a little bit of both, Kevin, because a big problem here is why this uh, this virus headline is hitting even harder than it normally would is because we are already hearing those recession fears into the market. We are uh, kind of pushing our luck a little bit with this expansion, our longest expansion on history, uh, really seeing how long we can go. We've seen record rallies, record stock market rallies, really seeing a, a, what some people are calling a bubble in credit, a bubble in tech. Uh, so really, now that we're seeing this kind of virus come back and these recession fears uh, really come back, the, the issue here is let's just cut down on everything that we thought was excess, all the extra levers that we thought we could pull. Let's cut back on that. So uh, from that perspective, yeah, this uh, the market has been uh, overextended and therefore uh, is kind of facing that burden, a bit of an overreaction. Uh, overreaction is a strong word, but a very strong reaction uh, from these virus headlines because we're already kind of in the face of, of, of a potential recession. Red headline crossing the Bloomberg terminal as we speak. President Trump weighing restricting non-essential travel from Europe. President Trump weighing restricting non-essential travel from Europe. Again, we're about four hours out, less than that, from President Trump addressing the nation from the Oval Office to lay out how precisely he will, uh, and he and his administration will deal with this. I mean, last question for you, Krita Gupta. You've been so generous with your time. Bloomberg Markets live team reporter. You hear that headline. If you're in the airline industry now, wow. That's right. And what's scary about that headline is we're also starting to see a, a repeat almost of what we saw in China and Italy and South Korea and uh, to some extent in Spain here. The idea, like I, we were just talking about, a recession. What does that mean? It's when economic activity is really getting shut down. And it starts off when you see travel shut down, when you don't see people uh, leaving their homes. So this is not a positive sign if we're going to talk about uh, economic data, economic churn. Uh, so not, not, not a good headline. Krita Gupta, appreciate the time. Bloomberg Markets live team reporter. She and her colleagues have been working around the clock on the economic uh, front on this. Let's bring in Frank Masano, partner at Bracewell's Policy Resolution Group, a longtime press secretary to several Republican lawmakers on Capitol Hill, and Joe Payne, Democratic strategist. Frank, uh, I, you hear this headline now as we're just a couple of hours away from President Trump addressing the nation from the Oval Office and now weighing measures to take. I mean, he's got to, to ease the concerns from a health perspective, but also from a brewing economic crisis. Certainly, this is a widespread challenge for him. Um, you know, and, and he has focused so incredibly on the economic side of this issue for so uh, of this and other issues before this for so long because he's benefited from it dramatically. So I think he's going to continue to focus on that. I don't know that there's that much that he can do there, and I think that partly is what uh, what Congress is going to say to him too. So I think what really has to happen, as he has to in this speech tonight, is he really does have to focus on how he can uh, kind of calm the nation from the health side, right, and, and try and get people to buy in to the process of working together. Now, he hasn't been great at that over the years, and I think that's a huge challenge for him, but we'll see how he does uh, tonight. And, you know, he, as you know, he rarely makes an 
Oval Office speech. Uh, Oval Office speeches are always teleprompter driven. Um, he doesn't like to do those type of things, and when he does, he's kind of, uh, you know, he's kind of restrained. So um, I don't know. I think uh, I think it'll be helpful for him to be that way, and we'll see how it t- turns. I out. mean, just to just to put this in perspective, if you're just joining us, the president weighing whether to restrict non-essential travel from Europe to the United States as the outbreak of the coronavirus continues to spread on both continents, according to two people familiar with the matter. This citing the Bloomberg terminal. The restrictions would include some business travel, uh, but it's unclear how far-ranging the limits would be. It comes at a time in which all across the country, in Washington, D.C.'s suburbs, in uh, all around the country, from Washington State to Washington, D.C., uh, Joel Payne, Democratic strategist, People, schools are shutting down. The National Guard has been brought into parts of New York State. Um, New York City Mayor Bill de Blasio has said he wants to keep the schools open because where else are kids going to go? Here in Washington, D.C. this afternoon, Mayor Bowser has declared a state of an emergency. Uh, there is so much uncertainty. So tonight, in, the, in these polarizing times, is there an opportunity for Washington to come together as one? Well, there's an opportunity for the president to lead. And, you know, I think the challenge here is, um, and look, we, we certainly, no one wants to take pot shots at the president. We want the president to do well because if the president does well, then America does well. Um, but there is a challenge here when this president has been telling you not to believe institutions, not to believe um, folks who are kind of key decision makers, not to believe science. He is relying upon those things to be believed now. So um, I know we're wrapping up right now, but I think the president has a real big challenge ahead of him tonight. We'll see if he can deliver. All right, coming up much more on the markets and on the politics. I'm Kevin Cirilli. This is Bloomberg 99.1. You're listening to Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. We will see more cases and things will get worse than they are right now. How much worse we'll get will depend on our ability to do two things, to contain the influx of in people who are infected coming from the outside and the ability to contain and mitigate within our own country. Bottom line, it's going to get worse. That was Dr. Anthony Fauci. He, of course, is the director of infectious diseases at the National Institute of health. He says COVID-19 or the coronavirus is going to get worse. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. Frank Masano's here. Joel Payne's here. Joel, I had to, we had to go to break earlier, so I, I want to I mean, I let you finish your thoughts here. From the Democratic perspective, when you talk to folks, you hear Dr. Fauci right there saying it's going to get worse. The president's going to be speaking tonight at 9 p.m. New York time. I, I, I mean, it feels post 9-11 like in terms of the impact that this is having on markets. Yeah, that's a good way to frame it. I even think about something that's even a little bit more recent, which is the actual crash in 2007, 2008, um, particularly how it related to politics. Remember, that was in the middle of the Obama-McCain race. And McCain and, st- and stopped that, his campaign. And that became a major test of that campaign was how the candidates responded to it. The country tends to, you know, we, we talk about all these other diffuse issues, you know, abortion rights and, you know, tax bills and things that, like that. And those are all important. But a lot of times it's these issues that attack people right in their kitchens, right in their living rooms that, that tend to really, really make a difference in terms of how voters think about their choices. And Joel, coming up, we're going to talk about one of those issues that seems 
seems to have some bipartisanship, which is eliminating the payroll tax for both workers and employers through the end of the year. And I'm curious whether or not there's folks uh, who would agree with that. Dan Pickering joins us on the line. I want to go to him for an energy perspective. He's the founder and chief investment officer of Pickering Energy Partners, which is based in Houston. Dan, thanks for being here. I mean, we're talking so much about what the whether or not there's a need for an economic stimulus to come from the president tonight to lay out a vision. What are you going to be looking for? What are the energy markets looking for uh, coming from Washington, D.C.? Kevin, I think what folks are looking for is <clears throat> some, some hope that the economy is not going to tank. Uh, energy, energy companies want demand to be better. With the coronavirus, you know, expectations were a million barrels a day of demand growth in 2020. Now that's flat to down. And so I think a good economy is good for energy companies, and that's what we're looking for tonight. All right. So in terms of the fallout from the Saudis and the Russians, which I want to divorce for a second, the issue of the coronavirus, have you sensed that this has calmed down on that front within the past 24 hours? Uh, not really. So wow. the, the way we think about OPEC and Russia um, is that they're definitely influential on commodity markets and uh, there's no there's there's no really hints of reconciliation. I think that you know oil at 33 is telling us that we've got you know too much supply and not enough demand, and, and so I don't think that situation's gotten any better, not any worse, but not any better in the last 24 hours. Hey, it's uh, Frank Masano with Bracewell. Um, I just wanted to ask you what your thoughts are. You know, members of Congress are going in to talk to Larry Kudlow and others. To, to talk about some of the steps that they think that um, that they can take, and those, the, you know those include like buying back to the uh, to the uh, Strategic Petroleum Reserve and you know trade battles or trade uh, sanctions and things like that. What are your thoughts on those uh, issues, and what what else is uh, on the table for them? In terms of of help from the government in uh, with energy companies, uh, I'm not sure you can necessarily trust anything uh, that either our government or other governments are going to do. So, I mean, our view is the industry's kind of got to save itself here because uh, buying some barrels for the SPR it would be helpful but not sustainable. And some sort of loans to small companies, uh, is the government really going to give loans to the energy industry? I'm, I'm not sure I'm going to hang my hat on that either. And so our, you know, our view is the industry's got to sort of save themselves and really focus on getting supply and demand in balance and, and their balance sheets together. We call it value over volume. They've got to cut spending. They've got to get their balance sheets in great shape so they can sort of survive the current world and not necessarily count on bailouts from, from our government, Russia, Saudi, etc. You know, I, I think this is this is actually really accessible because even if you're not in the energy sector and, and folks who know me know, I, I come from a family in the energy world in the sense I've got a sister who works at a refinery outside of Philly. So Dan Pickering, founder and chief investment officer, Pickering Energy Partners based in Houston, Texas. He's joining us on the line. What you said is what folks, if they're not working in refineries or they're not working in energy, they can still relate to right now because with the spread of COVID-19, with the develop, with uh, the anxiety, the angst that people are feeling from having to stay at home, schools shutting down and whatnot, people need to free up some liquidity. And when this turns the corner, 
uh, and people are going to need to be able to get small business loans. They're going to need to get loans out from the banks. That is something that's relatable. That is something that is cross-sector. And and just to keep it simple for a second, Dan Pickering, I, I mean, is that what you're hearing in Texas is really what this is all about, is a message coming from the Oval Office tonight, a message coming from Democrats as well, that'll say, you know what? Everyone take a deep breath. We're going to get through this. I think that's the message we're going to hear, and I think that's the message that, that people want to hear, right? I mean, we're a resilient state, country, uh, world, frankly, and, um, you know, we're from the government. We're here to help. That's sort of, you know, what <laughs> what you like to hear and worry about hearing. But at the end of the day, I think from, from an oil patch perspective, the one the one stimulus we're going to have for sure in the near term is – cheap gasoline prices. So when people come out of their houses and go back to work and, and go back to normal life, they're going to be paying a buck 95 or 205 for a gallon of gas, not three bucks. And so that's going to be helpful. And, and that's directly a result of what, what's going on with all this oil supply and demand stuff. All right. Dan Pickering, founder and chief investment officer of Pickering Energy Partners based in Houston, Texas. Appreciate you calling in to break that down for us. Uh, Frank, let me come back to you for a second in the minute that we have left. Uh, it, there's a lot of anxiety in the energy world right now, Frank, especially in battleground states, Pennsylvania, Michigan, Ohio, Wisconsin, about how the Saudi and Russia development is going to play out coupled with the coronavirus. Right. And I think that it's, you know, obviously this all has an impact. Um, there are two sides to this. There's a supply side impact, as Dan mentioned, which is now the market is being flooded with oil, which will lower that price. But there's also a demand side loss, which is 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 manifests itself in not doing as much, not flying, not uh, not going and, and going to work and commuting every day. So all of those things together um, ha- ha- have a residual impact that is going to be um, difficult for us to overcome. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. President Trump's going to address the nation from the Oval Office tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern Time. You can listen to the president's remarks here on Bloomberg Radio. Earlier today on Bloomberg Television, I spoke with Senator Marsha Blackburn, a Republican from Tennessee, about the need for an economic stimulus to thwart off some of the impacts of COVID-19 or the coronavirus. Take a listen to a portion of our interview. This is something that the White House is working on. The President, Vice President, Secretary Mnuchin, uh, Larry Kudlow were all with us at lunch yesterday, and they are working on this. Of course, a a temporary relief on the payroll tax uh, that would be functioning as a, a credit. We think that that is something that could be helpful. Um, we're also looking at different uh, relief on regulations, things that would help spur uh, production of antivirals, 
things that are going to provide uh, SBA loans to businesses that need an opportunity to br bridge this gap. What's the timeline for this? The White House wants to move fairly quickly. Of course, we think that staying here and in session and working is the right thing to do so that we do our part to make certain that we move through this. That was Senator Marsha Blackburn, Republican from Tennessee. You can check out the full interview on BloombergTelevision.com. Frank Pisano is here, partner of Bracewell's Policy Resolution Group. Joel Payne, a Democratic strategist as well. All right. I mean, gentlemen, first of all, thanks for being here on this dizzying news day as we cover the markets, as we cover the economic if, if we're going to even call it a stimulus anymore. And uh, we're even missing yesterday's results from which the Democratic we'll primary is probably almost over. To Joe Biden. And, <laughs> so and we'll, come, we'll, we'll come back to politics coming up, but I, I do want to stick with the seriousness of now we're in a city that has been declared a, a state of national, or national emergency by Mayor Bowser. So in the break, you two were, were kind of dissecting all of this, and we heard from two economists on this, but then you just heard from Senator Blackburn. So I want to open it up now and get your take to let yeah. this conversation breathe yeah. a little and bit. I, and I think where she's talking with the payroll tax is a good start, right? You're going to get a lot of universal support for something like that. And it's going to have a widespread impact on sectors across the economy. I mean, we've seen in my space, in the energy space, a bunch of stories lately about, oh, what's Congress going to do for the energy industry? And of course, you instantly get people calling it a shale out and stuff like that. And, you know, the reality is the, en the energy industry, for the most part, isn't that interested in getting um, a bailout or, or any, any financial help like that. And politically, it's not it's a difficult thing to do, right? So why do you go places where you're going to have a political fight to, to start it when you can start with payroll taxes, which tend to have uh, pretty universal support and widespread coverage. Yeah, it's the president's own caucus, though, that's given him problems here, right? I mean, this is Mitch McConnell and the Republicans who've given the president a lot of leeway um, on these issues of spending. I mean, spending, what, nearly a trillion dollars during the Trump presidency. And I think um, now maybe this might not be an opportune time to start to look at the checkbook, but I do think a lot of those Republicans are getting uncomfortable with that. Also, this is beyond just um, you know, lawmaking. Let's look at the president as a negotiator. That relationship with the Saudis that we've come to allegedly expect that the president has a really close relationship with MBS. Well, why isn't the president on the phone or why isn't Lighthouser or some of these other folks on the phone with MBS telling him to stop manipulating the oil markets like he is, which is messing with the energy right. industry that, that you referred to with the shale out earlier. So, the, you know, this is a really multidimensional challenge for the president here. It's a messaging challenge. It is a political kind of herding catch challenge, and it's an international statesman challenge. It's a really multi-pronged challenge right, for the president. I, and as I was riding over here, first thing I wrote down for myself was jawbone, 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 right? He needs to be, you know, of course, there. this is kind of an economic warfare, right, that, um, that they see opportunity for an advantage to kind of push uh, the United States, who has taken over as an energy leader globally in terms of oil output, right? Um, so I do think that the Russians and uh, the Saudis are looking uh, to, to try and squeeze other people out and especially squeeze America, uh, America's producers out. And that is something certainly that the, was within the framework of the president to try and push back on. Um, whether he goes as far as Harold Hammond suggested in taking trade sanctions, 
I don't know if that's the appropriate thing, but he certainly can get on the horn with them and lean on them aggressively, and I think they'll respond. Now, this isn't the first time the Saudis have done this, right? They've tried this over and over and over again, and it always seems to come belly up. This is also – sorry, went really I, quickly. This is also not something a president can bully his Just because I of. like Joel – I apologize. No, you don't have to apologize. Um, Go ahead. But, but 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 this is something the president cannot bully his way out of, which he is uh, accustomed to doing, right? Well, I think He's first he has to, to handle. Yeah, first he, he has to handle the coronavirus before I think we can even touch energy. Frank, I have two quick, quick, quick questions for you. Do you view Russia as more of the problem or Saudi? Well, it's the Saudis are the ones who are dumping right now. So, but I mean, don't you think it's Putin playing? Y- y- of course it is. Yeah, yeah. Uh, of course it's it's kind of a dual hit. It's a right? du- okay. They both see advantage. They both see uh, opportunities. They just had an OPEC meeting last week. Uh-huh. Um, OPEC is always notorious in uh, trying to manipulate um, f- supply and global supply, and so I do think that it's a double whammy. Um, and and again, that's just affecting the supply side here, though, right? That's that's one side of the ledger. The other side is coupled with is this. Corona impact right. on demand. That's why which I think really it's a perfect driven, storm. Which is really makes it a, a, a big <sighs> challenge. I mean, and 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 Joel, I hear you on your point in terms of. I mean, because I always go back to Tom Keene, who always tells me, "Don't conflate stories. Don't conflate issues." On something like this, I mean, they're so interconnected. Everything's interconnected. And and, and I'm just struck. And you made a point earlier, Joel, about how here we are. I mean, you, I, I made the point and for travel industry. Everyone in the travel world is talking about post 9-11 similarities and parallels. But it, it, the big banks were at the White House today. CEOs from tech companies are going to be there tomorrow uh, meeting at the White House. But you made the reference point to 2008. And, and I think what's based upon my reporting, one of the threads that has emerged is, well, where are the hearings? Where are the cohesiveness of an economic message and it just feels right now like they're trying to put out multiple fires and I think for the president a hurdle that he has to clear tonight at nine o'clock uh, in his Oval Office address is going to be to to say that there is a plan and that there is cohesiveness yeah. working with Democrats working it, with Speaker Pelosi to get something done no so the, am I the, wrong I, Kevin I think I think you're tracking the right way look the noise in the background for everything that we've been talking about all the times that I've been here to visit you is the divisiveness in the country right and these moments are the moments where you really feel that. This is a moment where the president should be able to get on the phone with Nancy Pelosi and Mitch McConnell and all the the Super 6 committee heads and sit down in a room and say, what do we need to do to quickly pass legislation to you know um, heal the country, uh, both businesses and individuals, middle class folks, and how do we wrangle support in the business community? The president doesn't have the political capital to do that. And so I know it feels like a broken record when people bring up the president and how brash and blustery he is, but this is where it really not just hurts him, it hurts the country. Yeah, and, do and, I don't something- think, and I don't think that the, the- so far, the president has wanted to do that, right? And That's true. he says that he does, but then again, you know, he's always the one. I mean, look at his presser that he had at the White House the other day for the very first time. He had Vice President Pence when he announced Pence was going to lead the effort. They had Fauci, they had a bunch of other uh, experts there. And the reality was, he's the one who engaged in a lot of the politics. The Democrats returned fire, and we were back where we were. You know, I, and I also think what from covering this, just people. On Capitol Hill, at the lawmaker level, at the staffer level, there's a lot of confusion. 
And I think a, another hurdle tonight for the president to clear is going to be to clear up any confusion. There, there is socially a lot of confusion. Look, that, I, right. I manage, I, I manage 15 employees at an organization of 60. We had to decide, well, what's a telework policy? Do we want people going into the subway systems here in D.C.? Do we, do we want to recommend that people start to self-quarantine because they travel to California or they travel to this part of the country? And there has not been a lot of guidance, at least guidance you can trust that's consistent. And, and that's, that's a challenge. And that's got to, that has to be clear and i don't think that's opinion that has to be cleared up tonight download the bloomberg sound on podcast on apple itunes at bloomberg.com or by downloading the bloomberg business app you can also find us on radio.com iHeartRadio, and spotify we keep talking about it the president's oval office address tonight to the nation to the world uh at 9 p.m new york time i'm kevin cerilli panel stage you're listening to bloomberg 99.1 This is Bloomberg Sound On with Kevin Cirilli on Bloomberg 99.1 and 105.7 FM HD2. They said from the moment I announced not far from here that I believe we're in the battle for the soul of this nation. With Donald Trump as president, our core values, our standing in the world, our very democracy, everything that has made America America is truly at stake. And that was former Vice President Joe Biden speaking last night following a big win in the primary state of Michigan on a mini Super Tuesday. I'm Kevin Cirilli, Chief Washington Correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Bloomberg Radio. We haven't even talked about politics with our panel, Frank Masano and Joel Payne, a Republican and Democrat respectively, as well as two Washington insiders, because we've been dominated by talk of the coronavirus and the president's address from the Oval Office tonight at 9 p.m. Eastern. And the economic ramifications, the energy market ramifications, I just saw, I mean, we have Bloomberg Television on uh, in our studio uh, down by City Center in Washington, D.C., and the headline said Boeing shares dropped the most since 1980. I mean, there's so many developments, Joel, and this is the part of the program where you tell us what's on your radar and what your quick take is, and I know, not to give it away, I know Joe Biden's what's on your radar, but this could not have been on a night where essentially he's not technically clinching, but essentially making it very difficult for Bernie Sanders to come out of after this, uh, this could not have been the backdrop that he had foreseen. No, it's not. Although in a lot of ways, um, it's the perfect backdrop for Joe Biden. So yes, what's on my radar is the fact that Joe Biden um, swept the biggest of the states last night on Mini Super Tuesday and became the presumptive Democratic nominee. And I think it's really at this point just a matter of time for when Bernie Sanders drops out of the race. And I think we're at the Humpty Dumpty stage of the primary where Joe Biden's got to put it back together again, not just keeping his coalition, but figuring out how to engage those Sanders supporters and those far left Democrats who will undoubtedly undoubtedly feel um, ostracized and feel um, you know um, led astray by the process that they feel like probably they feel the establishment um, tried to elbow them out of winning the nomination and so that's where Joe Biden is right now yeah and I, and I and I can I agree completely and I think the speech that you saw Bernie Sanders give today which we have and we can is, why, why don't we listen to it actually here's Senator Bernie Sanders and then I'll because then we can set the stage here's Bernie Sanders what became even more apparent yesterday is that while we are currently losing the delegate count, approximately 800 delegates for Joe Biden and 660 for us, we are strongly winning 
in two enormously important areas which will determine the future of our country. So to me, that's, that's the first step of him starting to back himself out of this. And the second thing that he's doing is he's signaling to Joe Biden, he's signaling to Joe Biden that he is going to maintain a place in the race just so he can hold Joe's feet to the fire on some of those progressive issues that Bernie uh, has, has, you know, come known for and rallied troops to, right? So uh, I, I do think that it's his first first evidence that he's really sees that, that he can't get across the finish line, and now he's relegated himself to being in a position where he's just going to keep pressuring him to make sure that Joe keeps some of those progressive issues in the forefront and doesn't go back to what he thinks is a losing message, which is a more moderate place. Yeah, and I think now the battle lines are drawn. And, you know, we've spent most of this conversation today talking about coronavirus. I imagine this will in some form be in our life between now and November. Let's hope that, um, you know, folks are able to stay safe from it. But it will certainly be a talking point at the backdrop of this election. And you do wonder whether or not a situation like that works to Joe Biden's benefit in the sense that if you look at some of the exit polls, he beat Bernie Sanders 80 to 10 on who do you trust more in a national emergency. I imagine if you did polling like that of Biden and Trump, 80 to 10. And if you did polling like that with Biden and Trump, I don't know if it'd quite be that unbalanced, but I bet you Biden would probably do better. And you know, and you know, Kev, I'm a Michigan guy, right? So right. I almost forgot about that. Michigan's very own. And I'm from Macomb County. So there you go. Oh, that's right. right. We, him and I, okay. So so I'm from Delco in case I haven't heard me talk about it. But But to me, Macomb County is one of the, is the most important county in Michigan. But to me last night was, I said this before the night started, but to me was the first step of seeing whether Joe Biden is going to was going to be able to grab that group that that Trump, Trump grabbed won. and Did took he? away from Hillary Clinton. And I think he made the first strides towards getting it. A lot of those union guys um, in Macomb County and places like that uh, were, were, were glad to, to support him and vote for him. Uh, you know, I don't know if they stay there. We'll see um, when it goes against Trump, because I'm sure Trump will make trade deals a part of it. And then, but the second person, the second group of people who are just so pleased are the Elise Slotkins of the world and Abby Spanbergers and people like that who helped the Democrats take the House in 2018, who were scared to death of having Bernie at the top of the ticket. I've heard from more than one source, Steve Bullock. One of the reasons why he decided oh, to jump sure. into Montana for Senate sure. race was because Joe Biden is the likely Democratic nominee. He would not be. Comfortable running on a ticket with Bernie Sanders. So that does make a difference. Um, the other thing I will say is this, you know, Democrats have to figure out how to keep that Sanders vote in the tent. We know that up, upwards, of 20%, up, upwards of 20% upwards of 20% of Sanders supporters in 2016 went to t- Donald Trump. All right, what's on your can't radar? Be, can't be Elizabeth Warren. It's got to be somebody much younger. And All right, I think, what's on your radar? Um, well, you know, what's really on my radar is, is, is energy yeah, um, energy legislation, right? Okay. Because this early this week, uh, earlier this week, Senator McConnell gave Lisa Murkowski and Joe Manchin space on the floor to talk about uh, promoting an energy bill. They put together an energy bill with over seventy pieces of legislation with contributions of over sixty members. That bill started to move forward, and it lost. It lost on one vote, which was uh, a cloture vote over um, an, an amendment to reduce refrigerants. That that John Kennedy and uh, and uh, and and Tom Carper want in the bill, and reporters who have followed this were asking me, 
well, why? what's their strategy? And I kept telling them that Kennedy and Carper have the votes. They're going to have to deal with it. And they did have the votes, and they stuck to it. And so now what it would have been a very positive energy uh, message that, to go through the Senate and it's now lost, and, you know, will it come back? Who knows? But that's one of the big things that we're watching right now. I, I think that's it's equally. I mean, I think people are going to be looking to see whether or not there's a singular vehicle for economic stimulus or whether there's a, a piecemeal approach. But the energy issue, the coronavirus issue, uh, it's going to be, you know, it is what it is. I just want to bring everyone up to speed uh, for tonight because at 9 p.m. Eastern, the president's going to address the country, the world, from the Oval Office on how the administration is responding to the COVID-19 or the coronavirus. And it also comes as Washington, D.C. has joined other cities around the country in declaring a state of an emergency. Uh, the NCAA has actually recommended this afternoon that the March Madness tournament be uh, played without fans or essential fans or large-scale fans um, here in Washington D.C. Events with more than I think it's 5,000 people uh, have been advised not to to happen. So I mean, there's been cancellations that we've been reporting on. Uh, and I will tell you this too, Kev: schools, and schools colleges are closing. I mean, colleges. There is, um, my daughter's college up in Wellesley is in Harvard and MIT are all are all online classes. And in fact, it was announced today that GW is going to online classes until April 5th. So, you know, it's a it's a real disruption. We've also seen a wave of workers be let go because of coronavirus and its impacts. You look at South by Southwest, a number of people in Austin were let go because of the economic impact of losing that conference because of coronavirus. So, I mean, it, I think now you're, and we got to wrap, we got to leave it there. But uh, I think now everyone essentially has, has awoken to the reality of the COVID-19 economic uncertainty. And we're going to be covering it every day. You can listen to the president's full remarks on Bloomberg Radio. I want to thank our full team here, especially the legendary Christine Barada, hardest working woman person in Washington, D.C. Thank you to our executive producer. Thank you to Frank Masano. Thank you to Joel Payne. Thank to you for listening. I'm Kevin Cirilli. I'm the chief Washington correspondent for Bloomberg Television and Radio. And you're listening to Bloomberg 99.1. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.